0: All right, so how many know when you read in the Bible, um, sometimes commands can kind of be gray, right? When you read, sometimes you can be thinking, God, what did you mean by this? Or what, did you th- what are you saying? What's, what's your plan? What's your will? What? And you can kind of leave sometimes feeling um, a little not sure of what to do next or what next step to take. But then sometimes in the Bible, the, the Bible is just black and white, isn't it? Like, just just gives you this very clear, definitive command that Jesus gives you. And aren't you so thankful for those times when you're reading the Bible? You're like, thank God that he just gave us this command here. And it's so easy to to figure out that we got to figure out how to go do that. But those commands are so, so relieving that we know that Jesus is saying, this is what I need you to do as my church, Well, he gives us one of those commands in John chapter 15, and it it says this in verse 12, it says, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. And then you're like, thanks for the easy one. Thanks for the softball there, Jesus, like, because you died for me, and that's what I have to, okay, I'm not... Maybe this should be more gray than it is. I don't know. This is, it seems like it could be so much more going on. But first of all, this is my commitment to love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so what I want to do really this year as a church and really, but specifically over the next number of weeks, is I want to explore what that phrase is. I want to explore what it's like for a community of people to love each other the way that Christ loved the church, to love each other the way that Jesus loved us. I want us to, to kind of dig around that and, and explore that a little bit um, and, and really figure out what the definition of that is. Because sometimes, you know, today in a lot of culture, that the word love, you throw it, it gets thrown around and batted around. and... My kid, one at one minute says he likes me, but he loves his new Batman car. You know, like so. There's all these multiple definitions of what that is. But really, I want to explore together over the next few weeks: is how do we love each other the way Jesus loved us? And really, what does that do? Like, what what is like the point of any of that? If we love. Christ, and Christ loves us, and then he says, from you, you're going to pour out this love that loves other people, and that there's going to be something to that, what does that mean? Um, I, I love. There's one rabbi that talks about the Bible as, a, as like a jewel, and sometimes you kind of look at that jewel, and you spin it around, and the light casts all different ways as you move it and cast it, and I think that's what this verse is going to do as we just simply learn how to love each other the way Jesus loves us. But you know what's fascinating about Bible study sometimes is that what makes this verse possible is that we love each other in the same way that I have loved you. And so in order to love someone, there needs to be someone to love. You're like, thanks for the... Simplicity there, Brandon. Like, there needs to be someone to love. There needs to be in each other in order for us to love each other the way Jesus loved. But he, because here's the deal sometimes is that we find it much easier for us as people, especially as followers of Christ, to do this thing alone because we don't have to change very much. We don't have to shift our viewpoints. We don't have to change our behaviors because really it's just easier to come and be a part of the Sunday gathering and that's it. And in fact, sometimes in, in your sh- in your in your struggle, sometimes in your deepest struggle, what you do is you move away from people because it's just simply easier than it is th- than to than to think about how to um, you know portray yourself or think about how to change. Sometimes you just move away from people altogether and say, maybe I'll jump back in when my life is just a bit easier, when I don't have to worry about the response that I'm going to get from people when I really just can, can just sit and be comfortable in my own skin and not really push anything that, that is really going to make me change much. There needs to be in each other in order for us to love each other. And, and what the Bible is ultimately going to teach us, and what he's going to teach us today uh, through a bunch of different verses, is, is the simple truth that you can't live life alone. You can't do it. And this isn't like just something that you can't live, like like it's a simple phrase, like, oh, you just can't do that. Like you were literally created, hardwired in a way that doesn't allow you to live life alone. We're going to explore that today. But I just want to let you know, just as your pastor, just how expectant I am for God to do this type of work in us as his church and how to relate well with each other. Um, we're going to be starting our groups this week. If you're not in a group, there's still time to get in one. You can go to our Next Steps booth and, and do that. You definitely want to engage uh, in our groups. That's where most of, most of our life happens as a church. You want to be a part of that for sure. But you want to participate in this because I think what's going to happen is the, the, when we explore how to love each other the way Jesus loved us, you're going to begin to see stuff that, that, that really changes who you are, changes how you begin to see the world. And, and so I'm so expecting that God's gonna do this big deepening of our roots together as a church and ultimately what he's gonna do through us into the world. And so today, um, three reasons why you need community, um, three reasons why you need in each other in order to do this well, three reasons why you can't live life alone, three reasons why you need community, and that's number one, you're created for it. You're created for Community. The reason why you need community, the reason why you need relationships, is because you were created for it. Now, um, th- throughout the Bible, there's multiple times that we're interacting with information that will pour us into, that will push us more to study the world of science. Um, and so, for some of you, maybe you have a background in that, or maybe an interest in that, some sort of hobby. Um, but but I'm coming, but I come from the, from the belief that science and religion don't have to separate each other, separate from each other. In fact, the, when you dive into science, most of the time I believe that what, the more you dive into the scientific world, the more of a deeper appreciation, understanding of God that you'll have. Because God Created the world, because God started it all, because God designed it, you're going to explore the depths of Christ and the depths of the unsearchable riches of him as you begin to understand what he created and what he designed all the more. And you can begin to understand what you understand, what, when you begin to understand all of that, the stuff that he designed and created, you will begin to worship him in, in a different way. And this happens exactly the same with humans, the more and more you study psychology, the more and more you understand the brain, you'll begin to say, God, I can't believe the work that you do. And what I mean by this is this, that as humans, you are what you're, is called a social species. Everyone say social species. All right, because you'll never say that word again, that phrase again ever, but we but just need to get that out of, out of your system. I know you were just chomping at the bit to say that phrase today, so... You are what is called a, a social species, meaning front in, like in the way that you were created, in the way that you were designed, you were built for relationship, meaning that you were literally created to build relationships, to build structures that put you with other uh, humans. So that's why we have Marriages and families and organizations and cities. And that's why we kind of clump together in much different ways. We have churches and Lions Clubs and sports organizations and all Rotary Clubs and, 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 and uh, Chamber of Commerce and all that sort of thing. Um, we have all these people that group together because we as humans were literally built and hardwired with this design to be with other people and and to be with other uh, things there's 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 many different social species um, but you are literally created with the need for other people so much so that you will have what that your body will send you impulses and signals that you need to be in relationship so when you get hungry you start to feel what hunger right that's just you know no trick question there When you get hungry, you start to feel hunger. In the same way, because you're social, you're created as a social species, you will start to feel the signals and impulses that you need to be in relationship with someone else. You need to engage with someone else um, in different ways. Now, look at the school of fish. Because I bet when you came to church this morning, you thought, man, we're gonna look at the school of fish at some point. Look at there's thousands of fish, in this school, and they're spinning around. And what they're doing is that the, the, the fish on the outside, the reason why it's spinning is, is one for some mating reasons. We're not going to get into that today. But, but, but what they're doing is they're literally spinning um, to try to get onto the inside of this circle because they know something very valuable. They, they know the more they stay onto the outside of the school... The more they stay on the outside of the school, the more um, the more able they are to get picked off by someone else that will eat them. All right, so they know this like mind-boggling fact: like the more and more I stay out there oh, from the safety of the of the school, the easier it is that they will pick me off. But the other thing is, they clump together because when they do have someone that come like a big shark that comes up, they realize, oh, look at this tornado of fish! Like wouldn't that freak you out if you were this guy over here? They're like. Look at this tornado of fish. Obviously, I'm going to lose if I try to take them on. It's too big, right? And even some of these fish on the sides, they, they turn black to kind of signal off that there's something happening or there's safety here and, the, and that we need, to, uh, we need to protect ourselves. So this community will give you social interaction, but it also gives you safety. When you're not in community, when you're not in relationships, your body begins to send signals that you, are, that you need to be in one because ultimately what's happening is your body's saying, I don't feel safe, I need to feel safe. And so what, the way your brain does that is it gives you a quick shot of a hormone ca- called cortisol. And your cortisol level is, re- if you, are exp- if you ex- experience heightened uh, levels of this over time, it's, it's very detrimental to your body but over moments of time, the more and more isolated that you are from people, the more that social psychologists um, say you experience social isolation, which is just a big word for loneliness. Loneliness. And your brain and your body will begin to protect itself because it doesn't feel like it's actually safe. This social Isolation will actually shorten your length of life over time. It's one of the leading causes of death in senior citizens. It's moments like this that you're reminded that you need people, that your body is saying you need to be with somebody. Over time, you, if you continue to experience this isolation, you, you, you move into something called social preservation, and you're literally not able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and empathize where they are because you're so concerned about your own safety. You become ultra defensive. You become all about yourself because you want to protect yourself from any outside harm. So again, what I love about science is the more and more you study that, you say, man, that's not good, isn't it? Like, please put me, I'll I'll go out for coffee with someone this afternoon, right? That's all really bad news, and then you open up the Bible to Genesis chapter 2, and then you see this phrase. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And you go, oh, yeah, it's not. It's not good. It's not good for you to be alone. He actually continues on into verse 22. He says, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Then the, the, the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. So, so the, as the text goes on in Genesis 2, it says that it's not good for man to be alone. So what does God do is he puts him in a community with someone else. He institutes marriage and he puts you in a community in general with other people. The Bible says that they were both uh, naked and unafraid with each other. And that's not just some phrase about marriage, although I, that, that, that dives us into that, but it's a, really a statement about what it's like to be in community that God designed. It's, it's telling you about what it's like to be in a community that God designed you to be in. That there's this safety, an ability to be vulnerable, a comfort. And now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he takes this a step further. He says, okay, so you were literally designed, created in your, in your bones to be in relationship with people. It says you're not good to be alone. God himself puts you in communities, creates you in this way, gives you impulses when you're lonely so that you can begin to grow. And then Paul takes it a step further in Ephesians 5. He says of this verse, he says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Okay, okay. Let me go Bible geek on you for one second here. That is fascinating. You were created by God. The DNA, bones of your body, your brain, to be in relationship with other people, so much so that your body sends you signals that you need to be in it, and that God understands you when you're lonely, puts you with other people. Paul says that he, he, that, that understanding is found within the local church. You were hardwired, designed, to be connected to a group of people that are helping you pursue Christ. And so he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that at first to Christ and the church. You were not created to live life alone. You were created for community, not just any type of community, a community that helps you understand who you are and how to pursue Christ more. You were created for the local church. So he says, You're created for it. Why do you need community? Why do you need to be in relationship? Because God literally created you for it. So that's number one. Number two, you need community because really. You need community because you grow in it. You grow in it. You grow through it. Again, what happens is this. A lot of times, especially in church world, what, 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 it can be a heck of a lot easier to pull out of all of our relationships because we're feeling so disconnected or we're feeling so um, just kind of stressed out. everything. We just need to pull away from everything. We need to sit down. And we just need to get our bearings together. And there's certainly there's some elements of truth to that. But it's, the problem is when we make that a lifestyle, what we're doing is we're pulling out of anything that stretches us or helps us grow. And I'll show, you, I'll show, you, I'll show, I'll show it to you like this uh, it's in terms of your psychology. There's a, there's a man named Dan Seigel, and he's a social psychologist from Southern California. And perhaps you guys know, you've heard of him or know of him. But he, he's a, he talks about how our, our, our brains are really interacting in three major areas. That there's three connections that we need to have in order to be as healthy as we need to be, and he gives us a, a cute little triangle here. How many like my artwork? Spent all day on this, you know, yesterday. But he's saying there's really three major areas. He says number one is, on the bottom right is the physical. This is your hardware. This is like your your CPU. You know, like the your computer that you use. This is the the stuff that this, this is the, the actual brain that you have. This refers to the chemicals and to the, and to the hormones and, and the ways that your, your physical brain interacts with itself. It comes down to the way you take care of your body and the way that you sleep. Your, your physical brain is affected by so many things. As you're saying, that's one part of, of health. That sometimes that when, when we're feeling multi, like very unhealthy, a lot of times it just comes down to taking care of our physical brain a little bit. And so then there's the mental side of things. If physical is the hardware, mental is the software. This is the, this, these are the, 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 the moments that you need to go see the counselor for something. It's, the, it's how to deal with your past. It's how to not worry about your future. It's the mental aspect. It's the mental health that you have. But then a lot of times we stop there. A lot of times we stop there. And we don't go to uh, the third element of this, and that's the relational health. Because here's the thing is that we all have a structure quotient, meaning that we all have an ability to help ourselves to a certain extent. And after that extent, we need something else. And in fact, what we need is someone else to help us take the next steps to grow. Because here's the deal. The way that these three interact with each other is that your brain, as you have mental health and physical health and relational health, Your brain is literally creating new pathways on how to handle decisions, on how to make better decisions, how to make deeper decisions, how to increase your capacity for leadership or how to increase your capacity for effectiveness. Your brain is literally building itself as you relate well and as you relate well to yourself and as you relate well to each other. That is actually how your brain builds itself and structures itself. And so again, as you study this psychologically, you understand that, that there's something going on here. And then you read Romans 12:1 through two, and you begin to go, oh, I understand. It says this, Paul says this in Romans 12, it says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? Think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How has God established for you to grow and change to become more like him? Relationships. Relationships. Because that's literally how your brain builds itself. And then you find it in Romans 12. He says that that you become a new person when you change the way you think. And then the way that you change the way you think is God puts people in your life to help build you to become more like him. Not only are you created for it, that's the way you grow and change. I mean, a lot of times what we do is we start to feel this iron sharpening iron, and we're like, get me out of here. When I was 21, I was, I was working at a place. How many, have you ever liked those places? You ever, if you've ever worked at a place where you really, really loved the people, but you hated everything else, have you ever been there? You're like, I just hate working here, but I love the people. I don't get it. And, and I was, you know, 21, 22, I was trying to find out how to, uh, I was trying to figure out how to just fit in more and how, how to just settle in a little bit more. This was before they did all the studies on the millennials, you know, I'm a millennial, so found out that I don't work very well yet, but whatever. <laughs> Paid all that money to find that out, man, I can't believe it. Just kidding. And I was finding out that it just, work wasn't going super well. But that God had put in, in just in a personal way in some relationships, some older men that were in my life that were more seasoned in organizational skills, right? So um, we had a, a VP of sales for, like, for a, company, a, big, a big cleaning company down in Philly. Um, we had a, a VP of, of, uh, of servicing for a, for a big hospital chain right there in, in where we were living. Um, and we also had a, an HR director of a big, big, big church about 45 minutes from where we were. And, and God had put these, all these men in my life that were on the, the 30 and the 40-year mark of working um, and, and said, hey, hey, Brandon, you've got to get ready to buy a lot of lunches over the next few months. I said, all right. So over the next, like, six months, what I did is weekly, I met with one of those three guys, and I just said this, what do I need to do to do this better? Because what I was realizing, what, you, you don't sit down in conversations like that and say, can you tell me all the ways they're wrong so that I feel better? That's how I started out. One of the guys was like, you're not going to change if you're asking that question. I was realizing that I was the one that was sticking out because I was the one that hadn't grown yet. I was the one that hadn't changed yet. And what God did is he put me in the lives of some different folks. And what I've realized is that every single time that I've moved places, There's always been two or three men in my life that are just able to have that type of insight into into who I am because God's always going to give you people to help you grow. And what we do is we do a big disservice when we show up into those relationships trying to find out all the ways that we're right. And the church said, amen, come on. When we go into those relationships and find out all the ways that we're right, we're not going to grow. Romans 12 says it that way. It just says it. Changing the way you think. The way your brain builds itself for growth is when you have relational health. And so that's number two. Lastly, number three. You need community, not only because you're created for it, not only because you grow in it, but because you display Christ within it. This verse is one of the most challenging verses for me in the whole Bible, um, is in John 17. It says this. This is Jesus praying for everyone that's gonna follow him. Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. What Jesus is praying for here and what he's kind of establishing for the church, he's saying that there's something about the way that we relate to each other as his body that will send the message that he is real. What he's praying for is that we are one, the same way that him and the Father were. And so he's pulling up this Trinitarian language that somehow you are displaying Christ. You are showing the world what God is like when you love each other well. Wow. He didn't say that you will be showing the world what he's like when you serve really well. He could have said that, right? He could have said, you're showing the world what, what I'm like if you if you have, you know, if if you're really uh, uh, if you're really accepting and really open to, to to every everyone, don't change anything. He didn't say that. He didn't say that, that the world will know um, that I'm real based off how, um, just, just kind of how approachable and witty and sarcastic maybe or whatever and how fun it is to be around. That's not what he said. Don't you think it would be a little bit easier if that's what he said? No, he says, the world will be, dis- the, the, that, that I will be on display through a church that loves each other well. It's from that moment, it's from that heart, from a church that understands how to relate well, to love each other like Christ loved us, where you begin to see through the book of Acts the mission of God on display throughout the world, where you see justice in ways that you've never seen before, where you see God's mission on display for all to see, When you read the New Testament, it's from a, a community of people that know how to love each other well, that know how to interact with each other well, that know how to relate to each other well. Now, this, these relationships, they're not just like the dude at the bar that you, get, that you get a beer with every once in a while. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the guy that, that, that you're sitting back just watching the Sox game not saying anything. That's not the type of relationship. In fact, the same, guy, the same guy, Daniel Sagal, he talks about the four corners that are every relationship kind of experience from time to time, but different relationships and different connections that you have with different people. And he talks about corner one relationships or disconnected relationships. These relationships are people that you just aren't even sure they like you, let alone love you. You're not sure that there's, there's just no signal that, that you have any sort of relationship with them. You're really just... You're really just not sure of the future of the relationship. There's not much, uh, to, uh, you're just questioning a lot about the, the interaction there. So there's corner one, relationships are just completely disconnected relationships. These are usually where the, the relationship will be moving towards ending um, at some, um, some, uh, some point or another. He also talks about corner two relationships. Now, corner two relationships are bad connections, it's kind of like having a cell phone. You kind of go through a spotty uh, run. I have AT&T, so that's kind of like my whole life. But um, it's, it's, it's a bad connection. You're, just, you're not hearing each other well. Um, but more than that, more than that, bad connections are relationships uh, that just make you feel bad. And so bad relationships are people, are, are, are people that you're hoping to get approval from. They're people that you're hoping to get um, interaction from, and they're just never going to give it to you. But yet you're somewhat, like, addicted to trying to get that approval, trying to get that attention, trying to get a thumbs up from them. And, and what's, what makes it worse is that sometimes in corner two connections and bad connections, they give little pieces of it. They, just, they release it every once in a while, that just keeps the cycle moving on and on. And you, you might know something about that. Corner two is just bad connections. Corner three are fake connections because here's the deal. Sometimes you can feel disconnected for only so long, you can only have so many bad connections for so long that eventually you just want to feel good, don't you? And so corner three fake connections are the things that you go to or the people that you go to that don't really help you grow but they just make you feel better. And so some of these relationships could be wholesome, could be good, but sometimes they're just not. Sometimes these are, are relationships with substances that just you, you kind of go to and explore to, to make things feel better. Sometimes they're people that you just kind of go to, you just want to go, uh, you know, mess around with in order to make you feel better. Have that, have that conversation with or have that interaction with. They're fake connections. They're actually not helping you become the person that God created you to be, and yet you're continuing to go there for that same feeling of just, I just want to feel good. But lastly, he talks about corner four connections, true connections. And really, over the next six weeks, I'm going to be talking about the essential characteristics of what we need in people to be corner four relationships. What are the characteristics that we need in this type of relationship that's going to help us grow, they're going to help us move, they're going to help us become more like Christ. Because if we're going to love each other well, that's Jesus' command, is to love each other like I have loved you. We need to get to understand how he says to love. We need to get to an understanding of what he says love is and what we do for each other to become more like him. And he, he, he lists them out kind of this way. Um, you could throw that, uh, throw that list on the screen. Love in the Bible talks, is you find it in six different ways, six different words that we're gonna be exploring over the next few weeks. Number one is commit. This is a, a rugged commitment to the other person, one that helps you support them. With, you're with them. You are a safe person, and and what and really what what this type of person does is, is defangs some of our circumstances. Because how many know our circumstances can make can feel like we're in the fangs of something, right? These people are for you. They, they push you and they advocate for you and they t- help you see the next steps that you need to take. Meaning they don't just let you sit around and complain. They help you actually help you take a next step. Unto is you help build, is that sometimes they create the structure for you to help you take that step and and, and, move, and move you uh, in the right direction. Unite is that you resolve conflict. And I'm, I'm really excited about this one, because sometimes, if, I'm not sure if you know this, but conflict happens in relationships. I mean, that might be news to you today, I'm not sure. But but, con, but, but God really, in the, the scriptures give us a really clear understanding of how to resolve conflict in a godly way. Can't wait for that one. Um, and then f- the last one is fill, that you can fill the gap with trust, that you're a trusting and a trusted person. Paul has these relationships, and uh, we're not going to read it through. We're going to read through the next number of weeks, but Colossians 4 gives us this list of relationships that Paul had, that he had corner four relationships, these true connections to becoming more like him that served alongside of him in ministry. They were corner four connections, people that were were helping him take next steps and helping him really get the work of God done through all of the uh, ancient Near East. And so we're really going to explore relationship by relationship, what this looks like in the scriptures and how we can take a look at it today. Because when we say love each other, we have to know what love means. We have to understand how we can actually do that. But, but more than any of that, we have to understand this. Why any of this is even possible is because Jesus came, he lived, he died and he resurrected. The resurrection, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel makes relating to people possible. He talks about it this way in in 1 John chapter four, and this is an incredibly uh, challenging verse, set of verses, that help us us understand really what what God's looking for us when it comes to this stuff. And this is what it says, John four, verse seven. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's what he says love is. Not that you're able to love, but that Jesus loved you, and because Jesus loved you, now you're able to love. And you're able to love because you're casting all of the ways that you're not like him down at his feet. Because here's the realities of what sin created. Sin caused in all of us separation. As soon as as Adam and Eve fell to the temptation of the enemy, it caused a separation between God and man. Sin does the same thing in us. It causes separation. All the ways that we're not like God, He's saying the best way to be able to love somebody is that if you are first loved by Jesus. And so what we do is we accept the invitation today to take all of the ways that we're not like him, all the ways that we're broken, all the ways that we fall into the temptation of, of, of sin, and we lay it at his feet and say, God, This is not making me, this is not making relationships healthy any longer. And I need to give it to you. These are are my corner one relationships. These are my disconnected ones. These are my bad ones, the ones that make me feel bad, the ones I make others feel bad. These are my corner threes that that I just kind of go to and I kind of poke around with because it makes me feel better. But God, I need a corner four connection with people. And the way that you say you do that is if we have a corner four connection with you. Takes away the sins. So verse 11, he says, Dear friend, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Since God loved us that much, surely we ought to love each other. These relationships aren't just any relationships. They're built off the gospel. It's the fact that Jesus died for you that makes all of this possible. And there's not just these, these relationships that let you do whatever the heck you want. They're relationships that we bind together to say, hey, you know what? Let's let's figure out what it's looked like to look more like Jesus. He said, Surely we ought to love each other well. Surely we ought to love each other well because we're not based off anything but the gospel. We're not based off chairs or pews or rugs or donuts or whatever it is, we're not based off any of that. Surely we ought to love each other because God loved you. And so that's the invitation today, is that we can have corner four relationships with others because essentially Jesus gave that to us. And he did so much for you that surely this should rise up from within, a heart changed by Christ to become more like him ultimately begin to see all that that does. I can't wait to see what that looks like, can you? I cannot wait to see a church that can interact and relate with each other in a way that truly lives John 15 out. Let's pray. Jesus, God, we want to live the command of Jesus to love each other like you have loved us. God, help us understand what that means. God, give us capacity to learn. Give us capacity to understand, to feel. God, stir our affections for you and for others. God, we wanna be, we wanna have impact, and God, it starts here. John 17 says that, that the world will believe that you were sent because of our love for each other, because of our unity. So God, I pray through the next number of weeks that you can show us the characteristics and give us people with these characteristics that are gonna show us how to grow and how to love and how to live life with you. God, we pray for all the things that you're gonna do in the midst of this, God, we're expectant. God, not just for next week and our first Sunday, But God, also for this next 12 weeks of all that God is actually, all that you're actually going to do as you bind us together to be a display of what Christ is, of who Christ is in the world that seems so broken. God, give us expectancy for this today.